0: Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. I have a really really special guest today. John Palmenteri is with me. He's a legendary newsman, 32 years uh, on the beat as a TV reporter. He's a he's a great guy. He's got some amazing stories of the of the stories he's covered. So John Palmenteri, Good Life. Is next. Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. So glad you've joined us today. We have the legendary Santa Barbara newsman John Terry with me today. He's one of the only people that has one of these. He also has uh, some kind of a doll. So you know you're dealing with a legend when he has like cardboard cutouts.
1: So congratulations on that. Welcome. Happy to be here. Uh, in real life, and in a cardboard cutout <laughs> mode, and in the, the puppet mode. When that came out, someone said, yeah. who's, "Who's the dummy?" <laughs> How did this start, by the way? How did you get? Um, sometimes I do some uh, promotional appearances at different places. They make uh, uh, cardboard cutouts or full size things. Uh, you know, <laughs> usually it's a fiesta spoof. The puppet was part of a event that took place. I believe it was 2018. It was called Puppet Palooza and they had puppet shows, like Muppet Shows, puppet shows in Santa Barbara and the organizers asked if I would be part of it and if they could do a puppet of me. And I said, sure, anything to help. I knew a couple of the guys and that's how that came to be. (laughs) I don't know where it is today, where he's resting. (laughs) It it was not mine, it belonged to them. So I hope he's doing well. Yeah, I'm
0: sure he is. Um, You grew up in South Central LA. Talk to us about kind of growing up, I think you were one of five. Kids? Yes,
1: that- I was the baby of uh, five kids, a family of seven, and, um, and that I've been up here so long, you ask a great question, and that people don't realize I did come from a very low to middle class area of Los Angeles between yeah. Inglewood and Watts, that's right. where we grew up. My dad worked for the city of Los Angeles in uh, public works and, and rose up from the streets to uh, City Hall before he retired, had a, had a great climb in his career in public service, public works. My mom raised the five kids essentially from home. She was a seamstress. Oh, really? used to work in a shop back in the day with her my grandmother. The Italians, you know, were the were the seamstress in the in the big shops in LA for a while, but then ended up working from home. So they bring the materials and she'd sew from home raise the kids and we go to Catholic school around the corner and Wow. And followed L.A. sports very closely. Um, The Dodgers, Lakers and Rams were all in the Coliseum of the Forum and Dodger Stadium. And that was in our footprint. Right. Yeah. Four boys. You want to go see the the games. Right. And uh, we all went to college essentially. And uh, Long Long Beach State was mainly the college we ended up at.
0: Okay, And then you, you came to Santa Barbara to take a radio job.
1: Yes, I worked in a Los Angeles radio behind the scenes as a writer at KFWB. Oh, you did, and a couple other stations. But back then it was KFWB News ninety eight. You give us twenty two minutes, we'll, we'll give, give you, you the world. The world. <laughs> right, right. And uh, it doesn't exist anymore. It was a fantastic station. Right. Great for a young reporter to be in there writing for these major market voices that I grew up with. I right. Mean, I was, every time I hit the key, I was nervous because <laughs> we we're going to read this in that booth over there right. in a few minutes. But it was time for me to get back on the air. I'd done that at college. I liked talking on radio. I liked radio. Didn't know anything about TV. Went to Riverside for a morning radio job. Um, showed up at 4 a.m. and worked all day in 105-degree heat in summer. And after four months, it was a job in Santa Barbara through somebody I'd met in Los Angeles. Isn't that how it works in the yeah, business? Right, right. They said, uh, somebody's leaving. You'd be perfect for the job. I know you've only been there a little bit. Take it. Go for it. Try to get it. I got it. I've never left. Wow. Never went back. They always say, work two years in a small market, then try to go to a big market. Yeah, yeah. because I read people that. people
0: do that. You were thinking about going back to L.A. Yeah. And you just never did.
1: Families down there in Orange County, essentially now, all places, but I never went back. I was wow. having good success here, and I, and I just didn't want to go back and cover some of the news that L.A. was covering. And on the other hand, they never really called for me either. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I, pro- I had a little more opportunity in radio than TV as I was going, because it took maybe seven years before I switched over to TV up here.
0: Okay, and that was 1988? Yeah. So so how, what was that switch like?
1: Uh, there was some stress in radio at that time with ownership changes and uncertainty, consolidation. A lot of news departments were going away. wasn't probably going to happen here, but it just wasn't, um, there wasn't a future that was... So clear to me. Yeah. It's a tough decision because I liked everything I was doing at that point. And I was a news director. Huh. I mean, everything was working, but I had to pull the plug and thank goodness I knew the TV people. Back then it was uh, news director King Harris and then uh, Paul Verkammen, Lance Orozco, Larry Good, all those people, Giselle Fernandez, all these people that have now gone off to these major market jobs. They all worked here huh. at KYT and we were all friends and the conversation started. And next thing you know, it was, An assignment editor not on the air oh really and when they had me there it was something like somebody described me as the firehouse dog I had to go (laughs) out I couldn't stay in (laughs) and sure enough they said maybe you should try going out and trying TV Wow Uh, on the air you have the smile
0: for it you have the smile for TV when it's necessary I'm
1: happier than sometimes I show in the air because I do so many serious stories right I mean we're doing fires floods you know, assaults, it's been kind crime, of a, yeah. depressing stuff. And that j- tends to lead the news, but I'm a much happier person right. than that. So yeah. I should be doing your show. <laughs> right, here we are.
0: <laughs> 32, yeah, you're 32 years, I'm in my rookie season. I feel like I'm playing ping pong with <laughs> Forrest Gump here, but we'll give it a shot. Are you the real Ron Burgundy?
1: I don't think so. Was that
0: movie loosely based on your They never contacted
1: wife? me, and uh, but it's I do t- have a maroon jacket. You do, yes. <laughs> I haven't worn it at Halloween in a while, but it might come out there. Have few. you?
0: Have you been Ron Burgundy for Halloween? Yes. Oh, that's perfect. Let's. I want to talk about some of the stories you've covered, and you, I read that you, you once you started doing the news, you said, "I just couldn't wait to tell people." You had this thing that you couldn't yeah. wait to. Well, so let's start with that, kind of that passion. I read it may or may not be true that you slept with a police scanner you nearby. Do. You still do. Oh, yeah. You have a police scanner under your pillow?
1: Well, it's close. Close it's, by. Yeah. It's not just one. <laughs> really? I have, whole, I have a whole family of them.
0: <laughs> okay, can you tell us about this?
1: Well, I, um, when I started uh, in radio here, I worked in the News Press Building. And this is very important to the story because they own the radio station, KTMS Thomas M. Stork. Ah. the publisher and order ah. the paper. And the guys that I aligned with were the photographers for the news press. And they just fascinated me how they could get these great pictures in the paper. I couldn't get over it. And they were scanner hounds, as we called them. They had police radios and they kind of had instincts. They had all this news uh, drive that is was so unique. I, I just had never seen it before. Yeah, And I, I kind of basically said, I want to be like that. I wanted to have whatever they've got, however they got it. And so they learned to listen to police radios, fire radios. Back then President Reagan was here. Yeah. At Secret Service frequencies that weren't scrambled as they call, where you can't hear them, you could hear them. So you knew when the president was in Movement. motion, when he was at Point Magoo, when he was in, you know, Marine One, the helicopters, when they were shopping, when they were at church. I just couldn't believe that. I said, how do they know all this stuff? Right. And so I tried to become that skilled, and that's part of my so, so specialty today.
0: So, you, yeah, so, so you wake up in the morning and you're listening to the police? Yeah, scanners? or if I
1: wake up in the middle of the night and you hear a command post has been set up somewhere or the SWAT team is out, you know something big's going on, you get up and try and figure it out and go. Yeah, I don't wait to be called, I self deploy. So,
0: that's what you do. You, you wake up in the middle of the night, if you hear yeah. there's a command post, you get yeah. up, get dressed,
1: and go. Yeah, I mean, I don't show up in my pajamas or anything, but. I am ready to go.
0: <laughs> but, but nobody calls you.
1: Uh, used, they used to. Sometimes if it's big enough, uh, I'll get a call. It depends on what it is. Um, but mostly I self-deploy. I'd say 90% of the time I, I go on the call or I go on instinct. Even during the day, if I'm working other stories with my camera crew, we'll hear something we try to roll over there and check something out. It could be anything. It could be a rollover vehicle accident. It could be gunshots fired. It could be a plane crash. It could be a dog stuck in a sewer drain. Wow. And those are the, that's, this is how those stories get on the news. We are very aggressive on the streets. We are excited about doing the news. We want to be able to know about these things and get there when it's happening. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that, um, you know, it's that we, you know, salivate over this or anything like that. We just want to cover the news. Yeah. And we want to do it when it's actually happening. Yeah. And that's really important for me to measure how we deliver what we see. But you have to be there to see it. Yeah. And, and if there's drama, there's drama. If there's a rescue, it's great. But when it's all over and you show up, it's a different kind of story.
0: Does it emotionally affect you? Tremendously. How do you deal with that? Not
1: easily. Really? Um, not on the spot, usually. That's the worst when it starts to affect you in real time. Yeah. I hate to say it's better later. Doctors would probably say it's not. But it's not easy to control on the scene. What we saw in the fires, the floods... Um, and when you see in car accidents or emotions, uh, that come from people around there or people that don't want you present or the Isla Vista shootings and stabbings and, and incidents that have happened over the years out there and you show up and you want to cover the story, you're doing your job, but you're getting swarmed to get out of there or there's too much emotion and you have to interpret a lot and control it and measure it all at once. And these days we have a different challenge with protest demonstrations and, and high-energy people who have somewhat disregard for respectful conversations with the press. There's a lot going on these days. It's a tornado.
0: Yeah, well, I'm gonna get to that. Because it's interesting in in this community, people look for you. I mean, if if I hear there's a fire, or there's a, everybody's looking for you. That's just kind of an amazing thing that, I mean, you've worked hard, obviously, and you've built trust, you know, you're the guy, which is kind of a position of influence.
1: I'm aware of that even on Saturdays and Sundays. It's not not uncommon for me on days off to be rolling or to be taking care of my life and doing some news or showing up at places and checking things out. And it's amazing what that is. It's not always a big story, but it could be I'm taking care of my life and somebody's calling saying, uh, have you seen the beaches? They're just packed. And and with this COVID-19 thing, this is all wrong. You've got to go down and take a look at it. (laughs) <laughs> and in order for me to understand if they're right or wrong, I've got to go you know down that, there and look right, at it. Right, right. And it could be something like that. But how much time does that take? And what do I do with it that day? It's something I save for another day, or at yeah. least I can be able to have a conversation about it with real eyes.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about some of the things you've covered. So, what comes to mind when you think about the Michael Jackson trial? Because you were in the room, weren't you? Uh, yes,
1: I couldn't believe it um, that I was in the room uh, in the Michael Jackson. Jackson trial, which, as you know, the, the offense, uh, the allegations occurred on Figueroa Mountain Road in the North County, so the trial had to be held in Santa Maria. Right. All the North County cases go that direction, not here. There was some uh, Michael Jackson uh, trial uh, issues that happened here briefly, but everything was in Santa Maria. And it took a while to get all that together. Um, How was the press gonna be in there when you had the worldwide press there? So we were in an auxiliary room and only some could go in the main courtroom. I was one of them. Um, There were fans outside, so there'd be fences, but there had to be access for the public. So some members of the public got in. Fans were out there every day. And Michael wasn't always on time. You know, he he was late. He came in a tour bus sometimes. It was basically bizarre. Yeah. the whole thing his family was there he was kind of
0: ahead of the time on the mask though wasn't he yeah yeah he wore a mask <laughs> wore, often i didn't think about that though right now yeah he, yeah he was yeah. kind of ahead of the time and the umbrella
1: yeah and one time he jumped up on top of an suv and danced because uh it was a break in the trial or something really yeah yeah <laughs> and i i mean i'm talking about a leap he leaped up and got his feet on the sill, and got to the top and danced
0: oh my goodness and you try that dean yeah no i think i'll (laughs)
1: pass (laughs) but it was uh it was a moment in time and it speaks to this issue that that it it, some people say well you should go back to la or go to cnn or go to new york all the big stuff happens there (laughs) well as you'll probably end up asking about a lot of big stuff happens here right
0: it's kind of and i already mentioned
1: that former president reagan was here right and over my career i'll I'd have to add it up again, but I'll bet I've met six presidents here, maybe more.
0: Is that right? Yeah. The Thomas Fire. Um, let's start with that. I want to get to the, to the mudslides in a second since that's where we're sitting in that area. But, but talk a little bit about kind of that situation and that, I know that was kind of an evolving situation over
1: time, but what
0: was that like for you?
1: So the Thomas Fire was in December of 2017 and we're in Montecito, California now. And the fires in santa paula well behind the hills of ventura county and it broke out in a windy night we didn't think much of a bit in santa Barbara. we thought there was a ventura fire right but we had a, a employee whose family lived in santa paula and they were calling him saying you know oh my god to the 10th degree uh, it was that big and in short order it jumped the 126 freeway and went right into the city of ventura because as the crow flies that's where it goes and started taking out apartment homes um, and and so many structures I think 500 structures were going that night if I remember correctly and then we're getting calls that there's a fire down by highway 33 in the ocean and I said oh that must be a new start that couldn't be the Santa Paula fire and it was and then we knew we had a monster it had an ebb and a flow based on the winds over the next week um, it kind of wormed around in the hills and we had two more key benchmarks one was a a Sunday morning in Carpinteria where it was way up in the hills the night before and they thought it was going to just stay up there and that night it it made a 7 to 10 mile run into Carpinteria and I was getting calls at 4 in the morning that the fires five miles of fire behind Carpinteria and moving so I thought the city of Carpinteria was gonna get get it and so I went over there and got on got some calls back to the TV station and we got people in and we were on the air by I think 5 30 or 6. And we, that's when we started staying on the air, by the way, if you recall, we went con- commercial free right. for days. That started uh, a major broadcast decision to clear the commercials, get the coverage wide open. And then finally, the, the next big benchmark was the Montecito morning. That was Saturday morning. The fire was moving towards Montecito. Winds were forecasted to be out of the north. Very dangerous. That means from the hills to the ocean, everything's in peril. And that morning, I was in the Mount Carmel parking lot just around the corner here, and the fire up in the hills by the San Ranch area was about that big, as if you put your hands out, it was just like that big. But then the wind started, and this whoosh came over the parking lot with leaves all coming this way. And before long, the fire was over us like a, a nuclear bomb had gone off.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And. We split up, we had a couple of reporters. Joey Butita went to Mountain Drive, I went to um, Ashley Road, and it was just raining fire. Branches and everything were coming apart and coming down on us. We found a clearing to kind of, not shelter, but just not be next to a structure that might burn. Fire chief came up from the strike team from out of Orange County and says, get out of here, the whole thing's gonna go. It didn't, but a lot of it did uh, get burned. One of the things I saw there that the public probably didn't know about is they had laid fire hoses out because they had days to do this. Mm-hmm. If you remember there was hoses laid out and left behind. It was evacuations. It was a tremendous pre-planning effort. This wasn't like if it were to happen now when we were all living here and had right. to get out. That's the worst, especially in the middle of the night. But this was pre planned. So when the strike teams pulled up, they just hooked up their hoses and started spraying every hot spot they could see. And it worked. Wow. I mean, we did not lose that many homes on this side. Right. And it was extremely scary, but impressive.
0: Yeah. Do you ever feel like your life's in danger? Yes. And what, what do you do? I mean, how do you balance? I got to get this story with I got to stay if alive. If it's a
1: fire, you have to have an emergency exit. If it's a big crowd, um, it's sort of the same plan, but it's not easy to get out of a big crowd with an emergency exit. And if you're driving in an area, say you're driving into Isla Vista, I'll use that as an example, it gets to be pretty aggressive out there and you're trying to get to a scene, but the streets are crowded and your car gets swamped. And we've seen this in other areas. Right. That's the worst, I think. You can't control, you don't want your vehicle to hurt anybody. You can't right. go forward or back, things like that. Same on a fire. If you don't have an emergency exit, you know, you drive down the street on oh, the wrong street, drive down a canyon road. Oh my gosh, this is not the place I want to be. Yeah you know you have, you have to know where you're at and how to get out and, and do try you always, and think of that before you go that's in. that's what I was
0: going to say. Do you kind of always have it in your mind like okay, if this happens, I'm going to
1: I must admit during the mud flow, even though I've been around here for years, we were disoriented. By let's amount. Let, let's
0: transition to that. Yeah. The, the morning. Okay, so this this happens for people who are watching elsewhere in the country. This is the Montecito mudslides 23 were uh it away? was
1: January of uh, of of 2018 yeah but uh, did, right after the thomas 23 fire. people died yes 20,
0: okay so right after the thomas fire the hills are are charred yeah. so therefore the, the 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 rainstorm that hit in the middle of the night didn't the soil didn't absorb the water just went and it just yeah. poured down take us where were, where were you what happened take us through that day
1: we knew we were gonna have a big rainstorm. I got up at one in the morning. I wasn't on shift till, I was gonna work the morning show that day for TV and I was gonna um, connect with my camera person around 5 a.m. At around 1.30, it was raining hard. And I was in the Santa Barbara area thinking that that might have been an area that would have flooding. Our San Marcos Pass had had a fire called the Whittier Fire and it was about to come apart. And we're looking at the weather radars and it was all over on that side of the county. But it was moving as the map, on the map left to right. And then we had urban street flooding, heavy rain in Santa Barbara, and I started going over there, thinking that's where the the show was gonna be. And then um, it moved out to Montecito, and we did not see this coming, nobody did of course, that it was gonna stop and have this, the most intense red uh, on the radar map, which means the most intense rainfall come down in the exact fire zone, uh, where there are boulders and, uh, you know, hundreds of years of soil that are coming apart up there that are just right on top of homes. And I came down the freeway. This is really important because as we know, later in this story, the freeway fills with mud. Right. Well, I'm going down to about Hot Springs Road, one or two exits away from where all that happened. But I like to drive on the streets a little bit more. So I got off there. I didn't go down to the freeway to Hot Springs or Olive Mill and go into the, into the zone there. And when I got off, I looked to my left and there was a big glow behind me where the sun should be rising to my right, there's a big glow behind me and I had no idea where, what was going on except for the fire engines from the Montecito Fire Department said there's been some type of explosion, our homes are burning and there's debris all over the roadway and we can't get to these homes. And that really struck me that something horrible was going on when they said we can't get to them because of all the debris. Why? Right. Yeah. And that's what I knew <coughs> that something had happened up there, yet down in front of me there was debris coming in concrete chunks and rocks and overturned cars were down by the uh, Montecito Inn uh, and some of the cars were so wrecked they were um, unrecognizable what kind of vehicle it was. You see a frame. So I parked there and actually walked as far as I could in the mud to kind of size it up and I knew that what was going on up there was ending up here. Got together my cameraman we got back up into an intersection that became somewhat of a ground zero shot by Casa Dorinda and came in and out and and went down the street the fire department says come over here we're rescuing some people and um i happen to know the people from church Um, their house had been um, destroyed and they were rescued or they were they were rescued from the second floor and then it was destroyed some combination of the of that and um, then we shined a light it was still very dark there along this long driveway and all you saw were concrete slabs and i'm asking the fire department It was really hard to see because of the rain and everything I said what's supposed to be here and he said homes i said where are they and he says we don't know because it was all going that way and this was that oh, intersection yes. of hot springs and olive mill and you know now that another homes going to be built there you see the story poles. Yeah. but i was not that familiar I was somewhat tucked back in there we don't go back there was a gate, gated community and it was all missing and that was just a, a start by daybreak helicopters were making rescues from all over the neighborhood. Still, we couldn't get beyond these down power poles and power lines. We just couldn't get to where we needed to go. We had other people doing that. Sadly, another reporter was in another location and you know, got out of her car and there was a deceased person there down by the railroad tracks. That's a long way. One of the first victims was a friend of mine, Josie Gower, who I was just with the night before doing an advanced news story up off of East Valley Road. You really? know the intersection by yeah. the creek there. Yeah. She lived up there and we were talking, I was doing my news and working in the car and horsing around, taking selfies, doing all the fun stuff we would do, right? Yeah. Wow. And and uh, she was missing the next morning. And it, you talk about the emotion of the work that broke me up. Just to know that I had been with somebody I'd known, socialized with, you know, went to church with and knew for years in different levels, but close enough, friendly enough and um, you know, it was, you put it into a real focus yeah that she was down here by the somewhere by the tracks of the freeway or the Biltmore or something and And they found her and located and that maybe frames that question for you about is it emotional how do you go how do you continue your day exhausted shocked right losing who else have who else do you know right yeah and that's just the disease there were so many people injured
0: yeah and you're part of this community you're Person, yeah, <laughs> and yet we're all looking for you on the news, because that's where we're looking for yeah. to find out what in the world's going on. So you have these two yeah. things going on,
1: and we have a great team that can tell the story with maps and reporters on the scene, and and the weather. I mean, all the components of that. But only a few of us, maybe, knew a few layers deeper, the real people there, right. and that we had to tell that story. The, the came on to us to tell that story. Who they were and then follow up for the services and all that went with that.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable what's happened over 20 years <laughs> in this little yeah. town. I mean, you, you said it, but you don't have to go to LA to get yeah. to, I mean, it seems like it's kind of found yeah. us.
1: And again, you know, you don't know that's gonna happen. You're covering right. a weather story. You know, same in and Conchita back when that hillside came down there. I was at both 95 and 2005, the and La Conchita landslides on the Ventura Santa Barbara coastline. And the first one crushed homes of friends I knew, but they survived. The second one took 10 lives. I didn't know those people that well, but I, I knew people in that community and I was fearful for them. Right. That's a little what they call it, a hamlet a community. Right, I mean, like right, the whole right. thing could have been covered with mud.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, to cover the news in this period of time has been quite a thing yeah <laughs> so we appreciate it yeah um, it used
1: to be just a fire conversation we didn't have that many major rain events
0: yeah do you f- i mean uh, obviously you see like you said before you, s- you cover a lot of difficult stuff tough stuff painful do you see the good in humanity in uh, as part of your job
1: very much so and i'm happy to be here to tell you that because yeah. oftentimes we're not looked upon as um, able to tell the good news
0: yeah right yeah well that's kind of what
1: we're doing so in the pandemic for example we designate a whole half hour on Friday evenings to good news stories people helping people the helpers yeah and that's a brilliant idea it's a lot of great stories but just in the everyday news let's just focus on that if we were we definitely see good stories and we find the place in the news for them for the viewer though, you have to go through maybe 20 minutes of the other news, right. <laughs> which is you know, the pandemic, the politics, some of the, the real uh, terrible things that are going on and just the routine news before you get to some of the, the lighter stuff. But I must say that we do look for that and it, it, it does have a place in the news and all the reporters in the field um, bring it up a lot in our story selections yeah. every day. And then after a tragedy, although it's hard to explain it in the moment. We're always there to help people when they need the clothing, the fundraisers, the tributes, right. the community coming together. We're there for that. Right. Long after out-of-town stations leave, Right, we we're are still, still here, here right. for the long haul. And I have years and years and years of examples of that going back to the Painted Cape Fire or wherever you want to start the timeline in my career. We were there when people needed help either on the spot few weeks later or if they got in some kind of entanglement with the government on their insurance, health, finances, something, they right. could come to us and we could make some calls and start other forms of help and, and get a good result right. in most cases.
0: You know. we, we only have two minutes left. This has gone by quickly. It's been a tough year. 2020 has been marked by the arrival of something from overseas to the U.S. that has brought the nation to a standstill. Prince Harry and Meghan. <laughs> <laughs> you see what (laughs) I did there who moved
1: in just a (laughs) few minutes from here
0: yeah what's what's the gossip what's the story come on you got any inside Uh, we did not know they were coming
1: um they are here uh we welcome them I can tell you being a reporter in this community for as many years as I have we take it in stride yeah we don't is that why they
0: move here because they're gonna be left alone
1: yeah we don't look around for uh celebrity news uh well Generally, sometimes they come out to fundraisers for our great organizations like Direct Relief or Boys and Girls Club or other things, and we integrate with everybody. And it's we do the Unity Shop telethon every every year with Rob Lowe and Kenny Loggins and yeah and Peter Noon and some of these major stars who live here. But we don't hang out and take pictures of them in restaurants or climb in trees or follow them around. We don't do that. We don't need to. We're all friends and neighbors. We get along, and it works out very well. Yeah. I think the same will happen uh, for With the them. Prince yeah. and make it.
0: And this community has really banded together yeah. over the years. It's, yeah, I think it's amazing, the spirit, you know, for, yeah. for all that we've been through. It's, that's one great thing. Thanks for coming.
1: Gave you 32 to 40 years of uh, stories and 30 minutes, type thing. We
0: packed it in. I have a lot more, but that's all we
1: can do today. We'll do a part two someday. That'd be good. You're, you're a treasure. We yeah. appreciate you. I'm available. Thanks, John. Nice to have you. Great show.
0: Thank you. We'll see you next time. If you like what you just saw, there's a lot more at goodlifetelevision.org. Good Life TV is really about the good things in life. We try to dwell on noble, hopeful, excellence. So go to goodlifetelevision.org. You can see a broad range of guests, uh, some overcomers, some entrepreneurs, just incredible people. So I encourage you to check it out, goodlifetelevision.org. Thanks for watching.